Hear the word of the Lord. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather and hear you speak through your word. And as we study uh, Romans 15 today, I ask you to help us understand, help us understand your heart for us, your heart for the world, help us to see how you're working, how you desire to work through your people. Lord, you have given to every one of us the Great Commission. You have made us ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ, that, Lord, you have formed us into a royal priesthood so that we might proclaim your excellencies to the rest of the world. So, Lord, I just ask that you would help us. Help us to see the world the way that you see the world. Help us to know how to faithfully live out your teaching in this world. Lord, help us to understand your grace And to communicate and demonstrate your grace to those around us. Lord, you're clearly working. And I ask that as we study your word today, that we would have a better understanding, a better idea of how to trust you, how to follow you, and how to proclaim your name to those around us. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen. Good morning, Redeemer Church. We are more lively this morning. This is exciting. Um, I am glad to have the opportunity to be here with you guys. My name is LJ. I am the pastor of youth and missions here at Redeemer, Um, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to come and to close out our missions month. Um, So this is the last Sunday of our missions month. It has been a great time 
Uh, the trainings have been really enjoyable. Uh, the night of worship and prayer was an absolute blessing to me, and, and I hope to the other people that were able to attend. And I've thoroughly enjoyed being able to hear from our partners in the services and, and to hear um, the, the sermons that were prepared specifically with this uh, theme in mind. Um, but it is time for it to conclude. <laughs> Uh, so Missions Month is going to be done this Sunday, um, but the mission doesn't end. That's an important theme. Our emphasis may come to a conclusion, but the work does not actually end. Um, but in honor of bringing Mission Month to a conclusion, I've decided that uh, it would be good for us to take a look into the conclusion of Rome, the Romans, the, the book that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Um, now, before we get started uh, too heavily, I'm going to go ahead and make a confession here. Um, Bible study is not something that comes natural to me. Uh, it is Reading in general is something that I've had to really work to develop that skill set. Um, I check out. Like when I'm reading, I, I have this thing where like I'll read through pages and I will look at all of the words on the page and sometimes I will even say the words on the page but then I'll find myself like daydreaming and getting to the end of the page and realizing like I don't know where like I've seen every word here but I have no idea what was actually said here um, so it's a discipline I mean I've really had to, to teach myself to be able to focus while I'm reading so that I can understand what's actually being said there are certain parts of the Bible um, that I check out on most frequently. <laughs> this is a weird way to start a sermon, but... Um, <laughs> genealogies. Gosh, it's so hard. It's just so hard. Like, you're digging through something rich, and you hit a long list of names, and my brain's just like, there's nothing for you here. Move on. And I know that's not true. It's not true. Uh, details of the law. Man, Leviticus, the end of Exodus... Uh, man, I, I get in there and I'm looking and I like I don't know where I am. Like I thought we were in a temple. There were angels. I saw wings. Like I, but I don't know what's going on here. So like let's just move on and let's get back to something where I understand. It's a discipline. The conclusions of letters. This is another one. This is the one we'll be emphasizing today. But man, I get to a conclusion of one of the books, or I get a conclusion to some of Paul's letters. And I'm like, man, I've, I've wrestled with some of his deep thought. Like, I've really considered the way that he's applying the text to me. And then I get here, and I'm like, this looks like a travel itinerary and a list of thank yous. Like, and I just check out. Like, so two whole chapters in the book of Romans, I have this tendency of, like, getting there and being like, man, I, what else is there really in this book? Right? And my brain does this. It does this in a lot of places. It's not just the Bible, so... Rest assured, I don't just check out with the Bible, but in movies I do this. I don't know if you're like this, but it, when a movie comes to an end and I know the credits are coming soon, I can feel myself getting like anxious, like the movie's done, I'm ready to get out. Like it's, it's get out of here. Um, as an example, the Lord of the Rings, any Lord of the Rings fans in here? I hurt a lot of people's feelings in the first service, so just be prepared. Lord of the Rings, this is an entire series about this powerful ring and this group of individuals that have to come together to destroy this powerful ring and all that it takes to get the ring back to Mordor. Uh, somebody got on to me for a spoiler alert, but honestly, if you've not seen it yet, that's really on you. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the entire series gets us all the way back to Mordor and the ring is finally, you know, it's fallen, it is in the lava, it is destroyed, and there is 36 minutes left of that movie. 
48 if you're watching the extended series. Do you know how long 36 minutes is? Like that's so long and my brain just checks out. Like it's done. I've received what I've needed out of this movie. And it dawned on me like this past week, I literally had to go back and rewatch the last part of Lord of the Rings just to even know what happened. I've seen that series so many times and I could not, until this week, could not have told you what happens after the ring is destroyed. It's because my brain, whenever I hit the point where I realize, man, I've gotten what I need out of this, it's time to move on, my brain just has a tendency of shutting down. And I think sometimes when we get into the scriptures, specifically in, in the letters, introductions and conclusions, Paul has this tendency where he makes them so similar that you're like, I've read it once, how many times do I need to read it? But the truth is, is that these texts are also inspired texts. They're given to us for a purpose. And my appeal to you, and really my appeal to me, is just having a fresh reminder that when we dig into these texts, there's information there that is valuable to us as we continue our walk in faith. So here's my appeal before we get into this text in Romans 15 is this. In introductions and conclusions, there's three things that are often offered there that are essential for us to have a good time of study in the rest of those books. Number one, in introductions and conclusions, we're often given insight into what motivated the author to write the text in the first place. Paul is kind enough to tell us outright, this is why I wrote this. And sometimes when you get into the reading, it's really helpful to have an understanding of what was the heart behind writing it in the first place. In a book like Romans, where it's so easy to get lost in all of the detail, sometimes I just need to be reminded, like, hey, Paul wrote this for a reason. Let's just remember why he gave us this letter, why he wrote it. The other thing is it gives us cultural context. These letters did not just descend from heaven, You know, they were written within a historical place, within a historical time by humans that were living their day-to-day life. And in the introduction and in the conclusions of these letters, we get insight into that day-to-day. And that helps us understand what's going on in the text. And finally, expected application. (laughs) Sometimes Paul will just outright tell you, here's all the information I gave you and in his conclusion, so do this. This is what I expect of you, right? And that's helpful information. It's really, really helpful information. So today what we're going to do is we're going to come through Romans 15. And let me go ahead and acknowledge I'm preaching through the conclusions, but the conclusions of Romans is 15 and 16. Um, For the sake of our reader, I chose to not read the entire chapter of 16. Um, That's a lot of names to mess up. Uh, I would have messed them up. I'm not saying that you would have. (laughs) So we're going to focus on 15, but I am going to give a nod to 16 down the road. So as we dig into this text, let's just go ahead and let's start with the question, what does Paul give us in this conclusion that would be helpful for us to understand the overall teaching of the book of Romans, but not just the overall teaching of the book of Romans? What does he give us that gives us insight into how Paul sees the way God is working? All right, so starting in verse 14 and 15, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. 
It's all right. You don't have to be sorry. That's a good word. We probably need that one too. All right, so in the, the introduction of Romans and the conclusion of Romans, we get a very important piece of information, uh, and that is we're reminded of the fact Paul had never been to Rome when he wrote the Romans. All right, this is a really interesting thing because Paul writes with a lot of authority and he writes very boldly, but Paul had never even been to the church. Paul didn't found the church. He wasn't responsible primarily for the discipleship of the church. In fact, right here in the conclusion, what we see is Paul is acknowledging, hey, church, I am satisfied with you guys. I'm satisfied that you yourselves are full of goodness, that you're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. Paul is writing a letter to a church that is not only fully formed, but to a church that is fully formed, that is healthy, and that is actively engaging in the work of God. This changes the way that you read the book of Romans. Because right off the bat, you realize, like, man, when you get into this, he's not correcting an issue, though there are points of correction he makes in the book of Romans. He's not trying to introduce unbelievers to a faith, though Romans is a phenomenal way to introduce unbelievers to the faith. But he's writing to an established church, and he's writing them the doctrines as he understands them. And there's a, there's a prepositional phrase that is so helpful there. He says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly. That's an understatement. If you've read Romans thoroughly, he writes very, very boldly. And he says, I write by way of reminder. What an interesting little piece of information that Paul gives us in the conclusion. Why did I write? Well, one of the reasons why I wrote this to you was by way of reminder. You guys are a healthy church. You're doing good things. The fact of the matter is, is that that church most likely had been formed from believers, from, well, not believers at the time, but from Jewish Romans that had left Rome to go to Jerusalem, that they had experienced Pentecost in Jerusalem. They were probably discipled in Jerusalem, and then they returned back to Rome, and they planted this church, and then they began to spread the gospel. By the time Paul is writing, the Jews who probably brought the gospel back to Rome had already begun to preach to the Gentiles. While Paul is writing, he's communicating to both Jews and Gentiles. So that's a really impressive thing to take into consideration, that the gospel had already worked to the point that it was expanding even among the Gentiles there in Rome. And he writes and he's saying, hey, I'm not writing to correct everything that you're doing. He said, I'm writing this so that we just remember the basic truths. I'm writing, these are all things that you know, but I'm writing by way of reminder. Now, it's a very dense reminder if you've read. I mean, it's like one through three is nothing about how sin, like nothing more than about how sinful we are. That's a heavy reminder, but he's saying, hey, I know you guys are healthy, but you know what? Sometimes it's really good for every single one of us to be reminded of how bad sin actually is and how it affects us. So read this by way of reminder. And you get in to, to four and five and you see the work of Christ and the way that it is offered as a means of salvation for everyone that believes by grace through faith in Christ, you begin to realize, like, look at this message. You've already believed this message. You've already heard this message. You're already teaching this message. But you know what? It's really good that you hear it again by way of reminder. Don't forget it. Just remember it. 
He builds out the entire way that he's working with Israel and among the Gentiles, and he begins to unpack all of these things. Hear me out on this. Romans is complicated, but it's not intended to be a puzzle. It's intended to be a reminder of the truths of what God is doing. And that's really my first point is why does Paul write the book of Romans? One of the reasons why he writes is to remind us of how God works. And it's such a beautiful thing. Even the way that he describes how he is engaging them is full of language that is emphasizing what God is doing. He even says, in Christ then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I do not venture to speak anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Elikrim, we're just going to move on. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Illyricum. There it is. <laughs> like right off the bat, Paul is like, hey, listen, this is what God is doing. Read the book of Romans and all of that beautiful testimony to the gospel and what it looks like to trust Christ. Now that message that I'm reminding you of, I want you to be encouraged by the fact that God has used Paul to spread that all throughout the region. So why did he write the book? Well, right off the bat, he wrote it because sometimes even healthy believers need to be reminded of the fundamentals. Uh, When I was young, I had what I would like to refer to as, as an illustrious baseball career. I wasn't great, but I was good enough. <laughs> Played little league ball into some early high school ball. Uh, when I was in little league, I was good enough to consistently make the all-star team. So we had like our little league, whatever the group of teams, we had about eight or nine teams in ours, and we had a couple other team like groups in the community. And at the end, uh, they would choose the all-stars, and they would form a team that would travel around and play for regionals, districts, and state. And I consistently would make that team. I think it was because I was available, but I would make it. So you had all these people, they'd never played together, but we would come to our practices and all of us were pretty impressed with ourselves in as much as most, you know, 13 and 14 year old baseball players are pretty impressed with themselves. So we all show up to practice and we're all ready to show off our skills and and we get on the field. And I remember one in particular time that we get on the field and our coach comes out and he starts running us in the fundamentals. So like we're all there, we've been playing for years and years and years, and the very first thing we do is we all line up at home and we're doing sprints from home to first. Over and over again, he's just drilling into us, run through the base, run through the base, don't forget to run through the base, run through the base. We get done with that, we get in the infield, and it's just simple drills. Ground balls, scoop, turn to first, scoop, turn to first. If any of you played baseball, you remember these. Outfield, pop flies, hit your cutoff man. Don't forget to hit your cutoff, man. At this point, we're kind of bored, and we're all sitting down like, man, we're the all-star team. What in the world are you doing? You are wasting our skill set. We know these things. And then all of a sudden, like, we begin, it dawns on us, like, it doesn't matter how good we are. If we're not rooted in the fundamentals of the game, we're never going to play to our full capacity. So we get into missions month, and we call, as a church, we call you guys to a lot. I mean, we really do. We're asking you to consider what it looks like for you to engage in mission. And I think Paul calls us to a lot. 
But sometimes it's important that before we get into the mindset of all the things that we think need to be done, it's very important that we just stop and be reminded of the basic truths. The fundamentals of the faith matter. They matter. They matter so much. So that's one thing that we learn. Why did he write the letter? Well, he wrote the letter primarily. Well, one of the reasons why he wrote the letter was by way of reminder. All right, another way that we see, another reason that we see that he wrote the letter was he was writing the letter appealing to them for help. And this is really interesting. Um, In verse 22, we see this. It says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So this is the reason. What was the reason? It's because at this point he had been further east and he had been working in those regions to the east that he'd been describing, taking the gospel to the people that needed to hear it there and establishing churches. He said, because of this work, I have yet to be able to get to you guys. But in verse 23, he says, but now, since I no longer have any room for the work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So another one of the reasons, why does Paul write? He is writing the Roman church to solicit help. He is on a mission, and his mission, in his mind, he is on his way to Spain. Why Spain? Because there's people there that have yet to hear the gospel. And he knows that in order to get to Spain, he's first going to have to go through Rome. So he's writing to the Roman church in advance, preparing them that when he arrives, and I love this, when he arrives, he expects to be helped along the way. So essentially, the book of Romans, and I'm not saying that it is only this, but the book of Romans is partly a missionary fundraising letter. (laughs) And I don't know how many of you guys get those letters. I get a lot of those letters of people that feel called by God to go, to go and serve. And I get all of them, people that want to serve in our community and universities and all around the nation. And I get them. And they're usually very stirring letters. All right. Romans might be the boldest missionary support raising letter I've ever read. Like, hey, guys, I'd really like some help getting to Spain. But first, let's deal with sin. Like, that's a bold way to open up. Like, hey, I'm, I'm asking for some help here. But hey, let's talk about how judgmental we all are for a little while. But that's essentially what he's saying. Hey, when you read the book of Romans, read it from the perspective of, hey, I'm on my way to carry out what God has called me to do among the nations. So the things that I'm writing to you, these things matter. Well, why do they matter? Well, Paul was very zealous about his calling. He felt called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but a calling does not always assume zeal. How do we know that? The book of Jonah. Jonah had a very clear calling, but his passion was getting as far away from it as he possibly could. God had given Jonah a very clear message to take to the Ninevites, but Paul had already determined how he viewed the Ninevites, so he would have done anything in his power to get as far away from having to carry out what God had called him to do. And some of you guys may have experienced that moment in your life where the Lord is like, hey, I'm moving you to do X, and you're like, man, I would do just about anything to not have to do that. 
So you look at Paul and you've got a man that's been given a clear calling, but he also has a zeal that matches that calling. Where does that zeal come from? And what I'm submitting to you in this situation is I think that rightful understanding of truth, rightfully applied to your life, results in a change in the way that you live your life out. Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to take Christ to a people that had never heard him. Why? Well, if you read one through three and you realize the way that Paul understood sin, he realized that there are people out there that are lost and they don't know they're lost. There are people out there that are burdened under sin and they don't know that they're broken. And if you read Romans 4 and 5 and you see the work that Christ has done and the way that that work can be applied to anyone who follows him in faith and you realize like Paul is sitting here and realizing there is a message for these people and they don't have it so I will do anything that I possibly can to leverage my life to get it there. It was right teaching Rightly applied to the heart that changed the way that Paul leveraged his life. Now let's go ahead and make something clear. We're not all Paul. Paul was very distinctly called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Not every one of us is called to be an apostle. Number one, none of us are called to be an apostle in the big A apostle sense. We're not waiting for any new revelations, new words from the Lord. But apostle also means sent out ones. Among our church, there may very well be people that God calls to send out, but not all of us. When Paul was writing to the Roman church, he wasn't writing with the expectation that he would be like a missionary Pied Piper. Like he would come into town and he would sing his little missionary song and all the church would follow behind right into Spain. No, he wrote the church at Rome with the, with the expectation that the church at Rome would remain the church at Rome. But he did expect that they would help him along the way. They did expect that they would have a role in the work of God. And that brings me to my second point. First point is Paul was writing as a reminder of how God works. The second point is he was a reminder of how God works through the church. So he says, guys, this is what I expect of you. I expect you to help me in these ways. And this is very important for application because it teaches us how can we engage in mission even if we're not the ones going to the ends of the earth. So one thing he says is, I expect that you guys will help me along my ways. One of those expectations was a financial expectation. It costs money to do mission. It costs money for Paul to go to Spain to get on that way. And Paul very well expected that right understanding of the gospel would lead to the church leveraging its material resources to advance that gospel. Well, how do we know that he understood that? Well, look at the way that he talked about how the Gentile churches leverage their material resources for the sake of the gospel. He says this is the reason in verses 22 and 24. No, I'm sorry. Let's move down. 27. It says, For they were pleased to do it in regards to giving of an offering. So he had been working as he had been working. Uh, he had heard that the church in Jerusalem was in great need, that they were suffering. Apparently inflation went through the roof. Um, they were in great need. So he says, hey, I'm going to collect an offering from the churches in the areas where I'm working, and we're going to take that offering back to Jerusalem. So he says, hey, how did the Gentiles respond to this? In verse 27, it says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. Ooh, that's strong language. 
He's saying the Gentiles, they felt like they owed it to the church of Jerusalem. Well, why did they feel that way? For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, then they ought also to serve them in the material blessings. See, the churches that Paul was working along, uh, among had this understanding of the way that they had been impacted by the gospel spiritually should translate in the way that they use their material resources. See, the churches that existed in this region existed because the church in Jerusalem had grown and had begun to send people out so that those people could then plant churches in that region. And now that the church that did the sending was suffering, the new believers are looking at the gospel and they're sitting there simply saying, how can we have received so much, how can we receive so much spiritual blessing and not be willing to then turn around and support the people that are in need material? This is a consistent teaching. The way that we understand the truth of the scripture is going to shape the way that we leverage our material resources. And Paul is writing them saying, hey, look at the way that these Gentile churches use their resources to bless the church, the church that planted them. I'm coming to you. I'm not asking you for money to go back to Jerusalem, though Rome, it's possible that they did send money to Jerusalem, but I'm coming preparing to go to Spain, and I'm expecting you to think about your resources in the same way. If you read in Romans, uh, Romans 16, you have two people in particular that are specifically thanked because they financially bankrolled the mission work. <laughs> That's a spiritual job. Did y'all know that? There's an entire spiritual realm, for a spiritual role within the church for somebody that can financially bankroll the gospel. Just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> second thing that he asked them for is, I need you, he said, I need your prayer. How do I need you to support me? Gosh, I need your prayer. So he's writing the church, I'm expecting your help. One of the ways that I'm expecting your help is I'm expecting you to pray for me. And he lists two things. I'm asking that you pray for me as I go through Judea, and I'm asking that you pray that the offering that we, uh, we bring will be a spiritual service to the people in Jerusalem. I need your prayer. Now, for those of you that have ever been asked for support in missions, when you get the will you pray for me, you're like, sweet, this is the way I can engage. Like, this is my realm. Like, Sometimes bank accounts start running a little thin. Like there's only so many missionaries that you can support. You know what I mean? There's only so many checks that you can write. So we get to this point in prayer and we're like, man, I can do that. I can pray. But I want you to pay attention. When he asks for prayer, he doesn't just ask like, hey, will you remember, sometimes, remember me sometimes when you're doing the dishes? <laughs> He's not just asking for prayer in the sense of like, hey, while you're riding the lawnmower, if you could just send one up for me, I'd appreciate it. When he talks about prayer, he says, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That word, to strive, this is not just a simple, like, hey, shout one out for me, you know? Like, this is not a simple, like, thoughts and prayers for the work that you're doing. This is like, hey, if you're going to support me in prayer, what I'm asking is that you labor in prayer in a way that is consistent with the way I'm going to labor in the task at hand. So when he's putting together his prayer list, 
He is asking for people that are going to pursue prayer so diligently that the prayer in itself is going to seem like a job. Not, not a job to be avoided, but I mean a job as in this takes something out of me. It costs me to pray for the way that I pray for these people. And that's a big deal. And he's saying, hey, I expect this. Why? Prayer moves things. If you rightly understand all of the doctrine that I'm teaching you in this book, then you will rightly apply this and know prayer is a serious endeavor taken on by serious individuals that expect to see God move in serious ways. So strive with us in prayer. The third thing, how, do we, how else can we support and spiritual blessing and encouragement. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul expects it. When I arrive, I expect to arrive in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So that, in verse 32, I'm skipping some. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul writes the church of Rome with authority. So Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He has a spiritual authority that's been given to him, to God, to then go and serve the church in Rome, right? But I want you to understand, Paul's understanding of that that role as apostle to the Gentiles was not in this idea that he is standing over the church. In fact, he writes the church in Rome expecting to be helped. How does he expect to be helped? As much as he wants to minister to them, he's longing for the time that they're able to minister to him. It's a huge act of service within the church. How do, you, how do you support people as they're engaging? Well, some people in this church are going to be called to go to the lines and do the work. Some of you are going to be called to bankroll that work and make sure that they're there. Some of you are going to be called to fervently pray and strive with that individual in prayer and lifting them up to the Lord. And some of you are going to be the people that are there to encourage them and support them and build them up and keep them healthy and make sure that they're in a position where they can move forward with the work. Redeemer, we excel in this. We are a church that is slap full of people that wore themselves out in the work and somehow ended up here and were able to find here a place of refreshment, a place of encouragement, a family that would help us grow, that we could pour into. And honestly, that's such an amazing thing because if we do that well, then we strengthen people back up and get them ready for the work that the Lord willing, God will call some of us back into. It's an amazing work that the Lord calls us to. And that's an entire role within the mission of Christ is being the people that are there for encouragement and strengthening. That's one of the ways that Paul makes it very clear. This is when I arrive to you, this is what I expect, that you serve me in this way. And then part of this, when he writes with this intention, he then kind of comes to the last thing that I'm going to emphasize. And we've already talked about this some, so it's kind of shorter to go through is that he's writing with the intention of getting help so that he can go to the world. Rome is not his intended destination. The nations are his intended destination. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Here's the thing. He's already saying, in the region where I've worked, there's no more work for me to be done. He is not saying 
that everybody in this region is now a Christian, but what he is saying is that there are churches, there are healthy churches planted all within this region, and each of these churches have evangelists and have pastors and have people that know how to share the gospel and to teach and to baptize and disciple. Because these churches are there, I know that the Spirit of God has equipped them to carry out that work in this region, and since these churches exist here and in Spain, there are no churches churches yet, I'm going to Spain so that I'm not building on this foundation anymore. I'm going so that I can proclaim the the name in an area where God is not yet known. See, Paul is taking us in the conclusion and he's reminding us that the work of God, that the work of God is consistently going to turn our eyes to the areas of the world where his name has not yet been proclaimed. And that's not new to the New Testament. It's not even new to Paul. Paul quotes Isaiah and he says, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard, they will understand. Long before Paul was even born, he was was aware that God had already given this word to Isaiah, reminding him that there's a time coming when people from all over the world will be told of him and they will see him and they will understand him. See, God has always been working through his people to make himself known to the entire world. And Paul has picked up on that paradigm. And as he's concluding the book of Romans, he's ending with this reminder of, guys, I write you by way of reminder so that you remember the work that God has done through the people of God in order that his message would make it to the ends of the earth. And if any of you guys are picking up on this, you may have noticed this is our mission theme for the entire month. God's work through the church to his people. Why is it the mission theme? Because it is a paradigm that's established within scripture that as we read scripture, we see it from Genesis all the way to the end and we're reminded that the entire story tells a story of the way that God is working through his people to the nations to make his name known. If you read Matthew 28, what Jamie preached, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Look at it. God's work through the church to the world. Nick Lingle preached Matthew 16. He says, I tell you in regards to Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus' response is, I tell you this, Peter, on this rock, on the rock of this confession of the work of God, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's work through his people to the world. We get to last week in Michael Kelly's sermon, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. God, listen to this, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. God's work through his church to the world. It is the paradigm that helps us understand the way that so much of Scripture is taught, and it becomes the paradigm through which we understand the way that we live out our own faith. I want to conclude with this. We're not waiting for new Scripture. The canon is closed. We're not waiting for new revelation. We're not waiting for new teaching. We have everything that we have, and we have everything that we need. It is sufficient for salvation and a life of godliness. We have everything that we need. But church, let us be careful 
Let us be careful that just because we know that the scripture has closed, let us not also think that the work that we see in scripture has also come to an end. One thing that we see in the book of Romans that's so compelling to me is that when he dotted his last sentence, he dots it with the expectation that God's going to continue working. The close of the book is not the close of God's work. So Redeemer Church, we have the word, we have the instructions, we know all of the things that we're supposed to do, and then we're left with the simple question, God, how are you working? How can we be a part of it to get the gospel to the rest of the world? How do we do it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for you. We are so thankful to have the opportunity to sit under your word, to sit under your teaching. Lord, we're so grateful for the way that you've loved us and demonstrated that love. And I just pray that as we, as we walk away today, having heard your word, and, and, and Lord, that help us to sift through what's, what's from you and, 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 and what's not. But Lord, as we've heard your word and we've looked at your scripture, Lord, help us know how to respond. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen.